This podcast is brought to you by Artful Scribe, a writer development agency based in Southampton, supported by Arts Council England and other partners. To find out more, please visit www.artfulscribe.co.uk. content warning for the following episode. Mentions of suicide, surgical slash medical interventions, negative responses and attitudes to trans and gender non-conforming experiences. Hunting Hearts are a genre queer band from Southampton. Their mission statement is to be the representation they needed, bringing trans and queer euphoria and rebellion. Their music is danceable, shoutable, quotable, with anthem hooks and earworm riffs. They hope to provide a space for their community and music lovers in general to come together, find common ground and create solidarity and unity. Growing up, looking back, because people have social media so young now, mm-hmm. it's such a big, wide, open ether for... Um, mistakes to be made. Sure. Um, and it's something you use a lot in your music as well. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's a big part of, I love the, um, so you have this uh, trilogy which you released ahead of yeah. the album coming out, the Heartstone trilogy. Yes. And it was so inventive what you did with it, I think. it's um, It kind of reads like, so you can go on to huntinghearts.uk. You're welcome uh, for the you. little plug. Uh, Hunting Hearts UK, <laughs> and you go on, there's a section for the Heartstone trilogy, and it kind of reads like a uh, sort of a, a ghost story around a campfire, uh, kind yeah. of how it scrolls down. It's really well put together. And it's just a wonderfully creative use of social media, I think, and kind of embracing the storytelling element of promoting yourself, basically, um, yeah. which I think as creatives, we're not often the best at or the most ready to do. But I think it was a wonderful use of writing and storytelling to get your message out there thank you it was such a wild ride from start to finish we sat down in june 2020 on a video call Mm. because we had these songs so songs like love you to death have been hanging around since the beginning of hunting hearts Mm. that we just we put off working on until after we'd released the ep Mm. and um that and no guts as well I know they were and give me something give me something is second oldest I think it's the second oldest hunting art song on the album mm-hmm. and um you know we were sat on these songs and we were talking about like okay what's the vibe of the album what's the point of it because none of us are really big fans of like we did five six seven songs have them mm-hmm. we're like what's the point what are we trying to say what mm-hmm. ties all of these things together um and I was just like, I spent sort of the pandemic playing Dungeons and Dragons and um, watching Critical Role and listening to old emo music. And the thing that came out of it was like, well, I love story mm. and I love concept, mm. high concept. I mm. love that. Um, so I started, I basically, I said, hey, let's have a meeting. And uh, <laughs> I wrote, I wrote a, uh, a um, I think it's like 32 pages Google document 
of an album concept pitch mm. where I mm. was like, here's four albums that are concept albums. Here's what they do and why they do it and why it's good. Mm. Here's my idea for the concept of this album. Here's three video treatments that tell that story. Uh, and here's what we can wear and here's what we could do. And I was like, I kind of like, if we were in person, I would have sheepishly like pushed it across the table. Um, but I sent it to them and I was so nervous. I was like, I'd spent like 45 minutes talking through this document and being like, so, you know, if you guys really think like, if you think that we could do it, like that would be great. Um, and they were all very silent. And then I said this ridiculous silly thing that De Devin repeats back to me sometimes incorrectly. And I said, abandon what you think is possible and imagine what we could achieve. Wow, there's a line. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't, I mean, when you think of it, it's kind of vague, really, isn't it? It's a bit, it's a bit vague. <laughs> I mean, ambition is vague. Yeah, When you, when you, when you drill true. down to it. He'll, uh, he'll misquote it to me sometimes. He's like, abandon everything. <laughs> Achieve something. <laughs> like, um, but I said that and then, went, and then it was this thing of like, okay, if, if, if everyone's down and they were all like, yeah, I really like the idea. And I was like, oh man, oh, now I've done it. Uh, and we had to like get all of these. We got the masks made. We got the, the Heartstone made um, by a really good friend of ours, um, Sorrel, and they're incredible. Um, and then we got Scott Chalmers in to do the videos. We worked with Scott before, and this was a bigger project than he'd ever done, I think, in terms of music videos before, uh, just in that there was lots and lots of different people. There were lots of locations. There was lots of narrative. So much, so much work. I remember first seeing that, um, I think it was, because it came out sometime over when we were still kind of in the throes of COVID. And the, the yeah, so Love You To Death came out. Um, it, it went love you to death, anybody else, and then give me something and love you to death came out January, uh, third, third Friday of January, mm. 2022. Mm. And it's, it's, it's a proper like <coughs> cinematic experience. It's kind of really immersive. And I think it's, it's so creative. And what, what I love as well is it's, it's got a, it's got a high concept really made me think I was watching, uh, last night on a friend's recommendation, this documentary about bringing American Idiot to Broadway. Mm. And I kind of feel that was such a big album for like, for yeah. like I think I like uh, my generation, like kind of yeah. as young teenagers being like, wow, this is political, but it's also fun and tongue in cheek. Yeah, absolutely. It really made me think of that, of American wow. Idiot, because I think it's the, the, the concept and the album and the, the, the writing you do in, in uh, anybody else is it's got a very clear message and obviously a, a political message, but it's also fun and tongue in cheek. Yeah. And all the little, th little moments you have around it, whether it's that kind of moment where your character with a mask is kind of talking through this big document you found to yeah. reveal what in City Call <laughs> have in mind. And then Devin comes in off camera and says, what are you doing? So <laughs> yeah. I'm just I'm just telling the world about this um, this this big plot. So your first thought was to make a video. <laughs> yeah. I just thought it was so beautiful, yeah. beautifully uh, silly and kind of embracing and having poking fun at yourselves while also having a very clear, serious message. It was really inspired by, I mean, one of the references for what, for Give Me Something with the Vines was Little Shop of Horrors. So it was like such a, it was like a mishmash of like, okay, so we've got like Little Shop of Horrors and then over here we've got Tron and then we've got My mm. Chemical Romance and it's like, just mash all these things together. It's going to mm. be funny. It's not going to take itself too seriously because we know we're all in people, people wearing masks and costumes. But also, we're also showing like, uh, you know, like diverse representation of of 
what could be a superhero. Mm. It was like, but what if a band of queer punk superheroes in a yes. slightly dystopian world? That's what, it, too... that's what it made me think of. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It was so cool because we got to, I got to revisit my old college. We filmed um, anybody else at my old college mm. and I got to go back there and I was like, oh, I remember when I was here and I was like, just so baby, like mm. not knowing I would be back here in like 10, oh gosh, 10 years, like doing yeah. this. Talk about synchronicity. I think life offers you those moments of synchronicity where you can see how far you've come. Mm. So you had to go back where you were sort of, you know, learning, uh, uh, presume more about kind of creativity in yourself and then coming yeah. back as kind of, you know, with a big project and kind of, you know, really owning yourself and being visible. I think that's a, a really beautiful kind of little moment of synchronicity there. It was, yeah, because some of the people, okay, so like three or four of the people that are in those music videos are people I met at college. Mm. And it was like, we're back because we all did drama together. We're back in the drama corridor. And it's like, we're all nearly 30. And look at what life has dealt us since. And we are still back here. We're still coming back to this place where we met, where we all like, you know, fell in love with each other. And like mm. that, I think that um, those kinds of moments are what life needs to show you growth mm. as well. Mm. These these places, these, these places, these people, um, it provides context for how you've changed and who you are now and who you used to be and mm. who you have been the entire time. Mm. Um, which is like why, you know, going back to like trying to hide social media and things like that. The Having something that provides you context for growth is in itself can be very healing should you choose to make it healing. Absolutely. I think it's, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a big topic to even, you know, mention, but, you know, kind of, I think, which is one of the real issues with council culture, really, mm. is it denies you that opportunity for growth. Absolutely. And, um, I think social media, I mean, I'd be interested to what you think its kind of role is, really, because for many people, it's the main way they engage with writing. Yeah. You know, kind of these days. Um, and I'd just be interested to kind of, you know, what, what, what role you feel it has to play overall and kind of why you feel it's it's become a big tool for what, you, what, you, what you're trying to do with Hunting Hearts? I think that the biggest thing about social media, and especially this became very increasingly apparent over the pandemic, is we live in a society. <laughs> we live in a capitalist society that wants to isolate us, not just physically, but with time. It wants us to not have time to see each other. It wants us to not have time to organize meetings to like overthrow the government. That's what it wants. It wants to keep you busy so you don't question the status quo. Now, the thing with social media is, yes, this is now a tool that harmful communities or harmful uh, infrastructure or establishments can use to indoctrinate and radicalize and perpetuate incorrect and um violent narratives yeah. but at its core social media is a way to connect with people mm. instantly where you don't have to be in the same country time zone you don't even have to talk in the same language mm. and it is the biggest tool for social revolution should we choose to use it that way mm. and I think that when you are a creative 
we look at social media and I, I don't know if you get this, but we certainly in our career have been like, oh, I hate doing social media. Mm. Hate it because you have to have a brand, a visual identity, a voice. Mm. Um, my girlfriend will be upset. She's a graphic designer. But you have to have these things in order to like reach people. Mm. But our, our band, you know, we've not necessarily like, yeah, we have the, the pink and everything. Like we've not necessarily had those things, but we've managed to reach people because of who we are as people mm. and the community that we have as trans people. And I think that the role, the role that social media plays as it stands with creatives mm. is that it feels like you're shouting into a void. Mm. But I think if we utilized it on a much more grassroots level. So that looks like actually having groups rather than pages. It means reaching out to people. Cause something that we do is if we have like a fan or a person that will come and see us when we're in a certain city, cause that's where they live. If we book a date, instead of relying on them to see it on social media, mm. we'll message them and be like, Hey, there's no pressure to come. You don't even still have to like the band, but we want to let you know that we would like to see you there because it'd be good to catch up with you. Mm. And I think that like engaging and it's difficult because the bigger that you get, the more people there are to speak to. Mm. But engaging as much as you can with that level of granularity with your community, mm. not your fans, but your friends. Mm. Because these are people that are supporting you. If you mm. look at them as like a, an extended part of your posse mm. and you treat them as such with the respect um, and the candor and like the individuality, like that is how we start to make movements happen. Like we treat everyone like a person rather than a number. Mm. Like that that person that like listens to your song, like the way it gets through to you on social media right now is like it's a number on Spotify streams. But if you engage more on a granular and communal level mm. in social media, you'll see that that person is like, this is why they like that song. This is why it meant this much to them they've told this many people about your song, mm. you know? Mm. Social media is such a great tool for getting ahead in the industry, but you can have that happen anyway if you engage with it on, like, strengthening your community at home mm. as well. Mm. So I think social media is something that is inherently misused, mm. but not by anyone, like, it's not It's not anyone's fault. Mm. It's not anyone's fault. It's, it's the big... The, the big uh, social media giants. It's, it's like anything. It, it's a new tool we're still figuring out how to use. Yeah. Um, I mean, people were really afraid when books just started becoming a thing that was going to pollute people's minds and yeah. kind of, you know, cause the uh, destruction of society, you know. And in many ways, I think, at the risk of, again, stretching a metaphor too far, uh, you know, social media and books are not too dissimilar. I think especially in terms of you find your community. Because, you know, I've listened to a lot of writers. I was listening to a wonderful podcast the other day with Kay Tempest, interviewed oh, by yes, Annie Mack, I love Kay. Uh, on the Changes podcast series. And Kay Tempest was talking about how, you know, when you read a book and you feel that you're kind of connecting with a story and a person that really resonates with you, it's kind of like you don't feel alone. Yeah. And I suppose social media, in a way, is a much more in-touch, personalised version Instant, of that. Instant, so yeah. you can actually see, also as a writer, you literally kind of have a, oh, I can see who's reading my book. Yeah. You know? And you can then get in contact with them if you so if you want to and it's appropriate. Yeah. Um, so they're not that dissimilar, really. No, and I think, I think it's this thing of, like, we, 
you algorithms, right? Because you can you can curate your stream as much as possible. Um but things are still going to be like shoved in your face. Mm. And um something that I've been really careful with is like I'm a lefty. Of course I'm a lefty. I'm trans. I'm like I'm in it in it for the left. Um but what I try not to do is create a a social media echo chamber. Because if I am busy listening to everyone's opinions that are exactly the same as mine, I'm not going to see someone else who hates me for being trans. I'm not going to see them coming when they throw a brick at me. Mm. So it's like I try not to curate this echo chamber, which means that sometimes it's painful because I'm seeing people that I love in real life, like show me by the things that they like on Facebook Mm. that they don't truly understand who I am or love me the way that they think they do and that can be very painful I think that one of the dangers of social media also is just how instant it is and how accessible it is while that is an absolute huge benefit it's also dangerous like anything good in the wrong hands or an informed hand it can be dangerous never before in the history of the entire civilization on this earth have we ever had information so readily available at a literal click of a button Mm. um which means that that's great like we can find out like how you know how frogs change color at night i don't know if that's true i should probably google that (laughs) but (laughs) we can learn things like that but then we can also accidentally stumble across being indoctrinated into like hate hate groups Mm, mm. so it's like you're right. It's a tool that we have not learned to use yet. And much like most technology, it's kind of run away from us. Mm-hmm. But staying staying um, kind of like honest mm. about that mm. as a society is really important because only then can we be like, okay, ooh, for a bit there, we went a bit hot on the, uh, went a bit, bit hot on the neo-Nazism, but maybe we should just like not, maybe we should instead... No, just Google frogs instead. So I was wondering if you could talk about this exciting project that you have coming up in June, which I understand you're going to be recording a charity single for a certain charity. Yeah. So, I mean, it's been like uh, one of those things, I think, with all projects is like, as you start to put it out, that's when people are like, oh, so you're working on a project. It's like, mate, I was working on this project a year ago. Like, <laughs> this is something that's been in talks now for a really long time because we've had quite um, close social connections with this charity mm-hmm. and um, always been talking about it. But the the fact that it's coming up to the 30th anniversary, it was like, oh, this is a great excuse to actually make good on all of the plans that we've we've had. Um and it's, oh gosh, it's been a bit, it's been a bit difficult in the sense that when you have, and I know this from when I was a choir teacher, when you have a bunch of people working on something, especially if it's in like a creative field, everyone's mm-hmm. so busy, which to an extent is a blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the neurodivergence of it all, mm-hmm. it's like herding cats. It's like, <laughs> okay, guys, we're going to start. No, you can't wee, right? No, you can't get a drink. No, guys, no, come on. Don't have a doctor's appointment. You have to be at this rehearsal. Like, mm-hmm. So it's kind of been trying to get everyone's schedules to meet up when you've got, I think, you know, so there's there's three of us from our band and then there's uh, one, two, three, four, four. I can't count. There's four of them in the other band. Mm-hmm. Like um, what we've done basically is had the, had this idea to do a charity single, 
And uh, what we didn't want to do was just write something that was like out of touch. Sure, Um, sure. So over the course of like a month, I think it was March, we split up into little groups and we went to the actual uh, groups that they run with their like queer and trans youth. And, um, And it was just really eye-opening and interesting to like a be nearly 30 and realize that that makes me a queer elder i know right that's I'm an like, adjustment isn't um, it i like yeah. i know i'm going gray which is a good thing that's a privilege <laughs> like i know i'm going gray but oh my god like i'm sat with these people who are like you know all kind of like maybe like 10 years younger than me or more and i'm like guys what kind of music do you like and like <laughs> there's a couple of them that are like yeah like i like this old stuff you probably didn't haven't heard of it and i was like that came out like when i was 10 oh my god <laughs> and then there's stuff where i like i've just never and i've never heard it and so my my music taste is now completely like even more diversified simply for for being with those people but we kind of like asked them these questions and mm-hmm. we were like, you know, what do you want the song to sound like? What do you want it to say? Mm. And I put in options in there that were like hopeful, determined. Mm-hmm. And they really, they smacked down. They were like, I want it to be angry. I want <laughs> it to be truthful. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm-hmm. cool. You did employ two rock bands. So <laughs> that's good. It's good that you guys went, I want a soft piano led ballad, mm-hmm. which we could have done, but mm-hmm. like... It was just so, it was so interesting and it was really, really nice to feel connected to a completely new part of the community as well, Mm -hmm. knowing Mm -hmm. that, you know, as they, as they like grow up, like we'll see them because, because this is one thing about being in a trans band Mm -hmm. is the majority of people that we want to be playing to Mm -hmm. are not old enough to come to shows at bars. Yeah, of course. So that's why things like playing at Pride and stuff Mm. like that is really important for us. Absolutely. And and so this is something that was like really cool was like getting in touch with like people that actually these are the people we really want to be speaking to. Yeah, Um, sure, for sure. And... And being able to actually have conversations and, and you know, you'd go to a group and you'd see like a couple of people and there would be people that, that like you would really connect on. So mm-hmm. like if I, mm-hmm. I as a person who is fat and non-binary with ADHD, mm-hmm. like I would go and I'd be like, oh, I get like, oh, I've been there. I've mm-hmm. been there where that person is and mm-hmm. I can, mm-hmm. I can offer them something that like maybe maybe like Devin or Jack from One Dead Thief couldn't because Mm -hmm, like I mm -hmm. have that lived experience. Mm -hmm. So that just generally as a project connecting on a community level has been incredible. And, um, and yeah, so, so we're sort of like recording this week and yeah, hopefully getting out for, I believe the 16th of June, Mm -hmm. but there's so much work that goes into this because you can write the song, you can record the song, but then you've got to do the cover and you've got to work out Mm -hmm. like online Mm -hmm. aggregation and Mm -hmm. you've got to work on distribution physically if that's Mm -hmm. something that you want. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a big project. It's a very big project. And it's two bands that, that don't have management. We've Mm -hmm. been doing all of this ourselves. So Mm -hmm. thankfully, like we have the, the know-how of how to self-release and stuff like that. But my gosh, it's, it's like, it's very involved. And like, it's what they don't tell you about when you get into show business, you uh-huh. know, it's like, I'm into show business. It'd be great. You know, everybody will love you and it'd be really easy. It's, no, there's a lot of admin. I, there is so much admin. I for, forbid it when I'm king, 
When I'm king, there will be no admin. The coronations, I mean, we've just had a coronation. Yeah, so I think, we can have another one. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the country's in, in the mood for a coronation, certainly a queer coronation. Oh my God, yeah, absolutely. And June's the time to do it, so, you know. Definitely. What, 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 would, your, what would your crown look like? Would you go for a sort of a, a modest one or full-on kind of, you know, like even bits of fruit in there, I'm thinking maybe? That's so interesting. No one ever has asked me what my crown would look like. I think... Oh, I think it would be silver because gold, I feel like gold's tacky. Like you have to Mm. be real. Mm -hmm. You have to be something special to pull off gold. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it would be silver or like a brushed steel. And um, There's a phrase, brushed steel. And I think that, you know, where you have, whoever is listening to this that has knowledge of medieval uh, garb, Please. We talk. This is a podcast about queer things with a expected queer audience. So I imagine yeah. quite a few, probably. I hope <laughs> that someone will hit me up on Instagram and say, actually, what you're talking about is insert name here. But the mm-hmm. spikes of the crown, the mm-hmm. um, peaks, mm-hmm. as you would say, the pointy bits, the pointy bits. Mm. Instead of points, I think I would like them to just be like straight bars, mm. and then going around is like a music stave. Ooh, and then, like, the the front is, like, a tre- treble clef with, mm-hmm. like, some kind of... I don't know. Let's be real queer and put my birthstone in it. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I absolutely love that. I love that. I'm, I'm pitching you at this single launch in all your full glory with your crown. <laughs> um, just It's about time, people. I know this is for a charity, but I, I, I'm sort of merging the opportunities to, 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 <laughs> to come out to the world in the fullest way possible. Absolutely. Like, I love that. <laughs> what and would it, your crown look like? Oh, I think I think my crown, I mean, because I kind of sit between the sort of femme and androgynous non-binary worlds, mm. uh, I think I'm kind of picturing, it's sort of in my head, it's a bit like, a, so I suppose, like a sort of a queer, uh, befeathered version of almost like, I think like Sauron's crown, which makes me, oh. sound, makes me sound like a bit of a, a bit of a... Someone you might think, why did you choose Sauron? That's a bit no. of a leading leading thing to find out about you. Sauron's Reed. a queer icon. Yeah, but I just, it's I just something about that why. kind of like, I, I, I sort of quite, um, it's almost quite, um, I don't know, futuristic. Yeah. Uh, even though we're talking about an imagined medieval past. Um, I think that's what I would go for. That's what I would go for. I just, my, my ADHD went like, but what if an imagined medieval past is actually our future? Whoa. That's deep. That's really deep. We're only just getting started. And I know. I think you were unprepared. I was not prepared I for came that. prepared. <laughs> yeah, I've had a complicated relationship with that. Kind of, I came to this podcast recording today wearing a skirt and, and purple cowboy boots. And I kind of, over the years, you know, I've thought like, I don't want to feel like I have to, you know, kind of like... I feel like I'm being like a, I don't know, a poster person for like queer revolution just by going out and, you know, doing whatever I'm doing that day. Um, and I think that sometimes can bleed into your writing, the, the sense of like, you know, I can't, I can't just like kind of celebrate who I am, you know, just, just without that kind of caveat of like, but who I am is not a celebration to everybody. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And um, um, I wonder how that's kind of like... Um, kind of you've sat with that in your writing and how it's kind of informed as you've grown as a writer and, and a performer. It's interesting because everything about me should make me scared to to be who I am in this society. The literal world isn't built for me as like a disabled fat person. Um, 
it's not. And even venues sometimes, you know, they don't have stairs up to the stage or something like that. And I'm like, well, I'll be getting on and I won't be coming off. <laughs> you know, I'll be staying there for the rest of the night. Um, but I think I come from a place of privilege in that I have a very supportive family. Mm. Um, so it never occurred to me while there is fear there, of course there is fear. There is fear when I walk down the street, there's fear when I play at a show and we're not playing with any other queer bands or we're playing to a brand new audience who don't know who we are. There's always that fear that we're not going to be safe. Mm. But ultimately for me, it wasn't something I ever really, in a privileged way, I never had to think about it that much. Mm. It's kind of, it's kind of like I, it was so important to me and is so important to me to write truthfully as a queer person, as a trans person, that I kind of disregard whether it's going to make me feel safe or not. Um, and I know that that is both just uh, a kind of like my own priority, which obviously should be some kind of self-preservation. Mm. Um, it's my priority, but it's also just the thing of like, that's so important to me that I'm not, thinking about me mm. I'm not thinking about my safety because I'm also assuming the best in people mm. and you know if I was to go on stage and somebody threw something at me like I wouldn't expect it but I wouldn't be surprised either and it would be like okay that makes sense I think there is this vibe in the band of like, we're kind of, touch wood, we've been kind of waiting for some kind of backlash. But we've been very, very fortunate, which I think is why it's very far away from my psyche, that idea of like being unsafe. Because for me, the priority is making sure that the audience feels safe. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, in a way, I'm like, I don't care if I get hit by something. It's just like, don't hit them, mm. you know? Um... So it's interesting. That's a really interesting thing to be asked. Like, do we pull? Do I ever pull back? I don't think so. I think I. I think I'm only pushing further. I think I've got a song that I've written called "Wide," which speaks very much to being fat. Mm -hmm. And it was born out of this thing where I was in a taxi, and I was like, "Well, I would get in taxis all the time before I could drive." And uh, seatbelts wouldn't fit me. And I'd be like, well, that's my fault. And I'm like, the hell it's my fault. Mm -hmm. I'm not the only fat person in the world. Mm -hmm. They literally, it was a very stark moment of like, we have built something for human safety, but you don't fit into it. You don't fit, so you don't deserve to be safe. Yeah, so by default, you're excluded from safety. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It was wild. And in that moment, I was like, well, I have to write a song. And that's probably the most like the song I'm most nervous about. I can talk about being queer forever and being trans forever and not feel that much fear. Mm. But fatness is different. And being fat and queer in itself is also a microcosm of difference. So, yeah, I mean, like, I don't... I don't... Um, I'm not in this place of, like, feel the fear and do it anyway. I'm just, like, do the thing and then it's afterwards it's like, should I have felt fear? Oh, it's done now, I guess. Mm. That's kind of where I sit. Mm. And there's a there's a there's a line I think well there's, there's a 
the pre-chorus I think of from your song uh, Don't Let a Good Thing Go off of um, anybody else, which I think really beautifully encapsulates a lot of what we've been talking about and what you were just speaking to there. That kind of duality in in kind of, you know, sort of joyfully putting yourself forward and, and like kind of embracing who you are, but knowing, you know, what might be waiting for you down the path. Mm. And so excuse me, reading your own work back to you. It's okay, I've um, already forgotten all the lyrics of that song. So. <laughs> well, this might be helpful then. Thank you. And through all of this, I've learned that whenever I get burned, it's the kind of pain that I'll survive, the kind that makes me feel alive. I think that's just beautiful because it encapsulates in such a short, uh, quick moment yeah, like I was saying, that that just that that duality of of kind of stepping joyfully and um, ambitiously forward, you know, by being yourself. Thank you. It's um, I mean, that song's very interesting because it was it was written initially as like a a mourning of a relationship, and then it twisted into the mourning of my grandfather who passed away the week before we went into our first lockdown. Um. I didn't write the second, but I started writing it in 2019 and I finished writing it after my granddad passed in during the pandemic. And um, it started off as this thing of like, well, life, you know, when you're enjoying happiness with conviction, you understand it's fleeting. That's why you're living it with conviction. Um, and so therefore you have to experience low. You have to experience pain. And physically or you know sort of like biologically pain is in the brain mm. and if you are feeling pain then it means you're alive and you're thinking and you're experiencing life mm. um and you know it's kind of emo it's kind of it's a little bit you know it's like um iris by the google goo goo dolls where he sings yeah you bleed just to know you're alive mm. um it's, i guess it's kind of probably a bit derivative of of that idea you know but I think in order to achieve great joy, you have to accept and acknowledge and experience the, not always the opposite, but at least a bit of darkness, a, a tinge of what it could be like without that to really value it. Mm. Um, and also I think that that pre-chorus for me in that moment, especially when I was writing it, when I came back to it after writing the second verse was it speaks about perseverance mm -hmm. and it's like God, you know, cause we go to the middle eight and it's like, I know that it hurts like hell inside. We do all we can to hide all the hurt and the absence of worth. And like, it's that thing of like, I, I see you, like I see how little you think you're worth um, because of how you look or because of who you are. And then the turn at the end of that is like, but you're so much more than flesh and bones to me. Mm. And that's true. I think, I think that, I think that perseverance in the pursuit of joy is, is probably what this song is most about mm. because it's about so many sad things that have happened to me mm. that by the time I got to the middle eight, it became a love letter to the people that listen to us and my friends and my family and the other people in the band, like, because it was like, Hey, all of this sad stuff. That's really, really hard. Like I see that. I see that in you. I felt that like you're not alone, but think about in coming together where we could be. I had, um, I had, I often get myself into situations where 
I don't know what to do. So I'll get into friendships or relationships or situations at work where I'm like, oh God, this is really difficult. And I am living this situation, but I want it to change. And um, my good friend um, who works, who was the breakout rep, mm. they said to me, if you, and this changed, this genuinely changed my life. If you um, change this situation, if you say something, um, then in five months' time, your life could be completely different and you would have forgotten all of the hard bit of the fallout of you saying something. Mm. But if you don't change something now in five months' time, it could still be exactly the same and you could still be feeling the exact same way. So that prompted me to take action, to persevere with things that are hard and make changes where I can, knowing that much like joy, pain is temporary. You know, you can feel the shadows of pain for the rest of your life through things that you've gone through with trauma and they can crop up and be incredibly hard to deal with debilitating but happiness you can fill memories of happiness and that can be incredibly helpful throughout your life so it's this kind of trade-off of like whenever you feel great pain know that great happiness is possible um like with anxiety attacks you can't have an anxiety attack physiologically for more than 45 minutes so that feeling of like nothing's ever going to change. It's always going to be the same. Everything is temporary mm. and that perseverance. And I, you know, I know I speak from privilege. I know that there are people who have gone through things that are so much worse than I've gone through that go through life and are constantly handed harder hands, like just worse stuff every single day. And it does feel an ending. And it's trite to tell someone who's gone through awful, awful things to just decide to be happy. We acknowledge that while happiness or joy, perseverance is a choice, sometimes we don't get to make that choice. Mm. Mm. Um, so it's hard. It's always hard writing a song like that because it's like how... I remember when I wrote it, I was like, oh, it's a bit cliche. I was like, I don't think this is going to connect with people because I think that maybe people will feel like it's trite or it's saccharine. But... Devin was like, no, people are going to really love this. And I sat there on the edge of the stage at the Joiners when we played the album launch and I started playing it. And by the end, all of the six people that were right at the front in front of me, because they'd all like come up and like, mm -hmm. it was like a packed little dense crowd. Everyone I could see in front of me was bawling. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, he was right. Mm -hmm. We really did something here. Mm -hmm. And um, that was such a, a cool moment because it was like... I just wrote that song about several sad things that happened to me and now it resonates with people. Mm. And that was so, so cool. Psst. And that's why, that's why label is, labels can be very important because you suddenly put, you suddenly put a name to that difference mm. or, or a, a label on that experience. Yeah. I think they're wonderful signposts. Absolutely. To keep you on the right track. Yeah. But they don't have to determine where you kind of set up camp, if you excuse the pun. Um, <laughs> you know, 
they serve record they serve record labels and people in you know kind of shops and everything but and, and for people i think they could be really useful uh, as to, to find your community but that doesn't have to limit yeah. who you are and how you can express yourself absolutely so i want to talk about joy and and queer joy and i'm interested what your what those words kind of mean to you and you know kind of whether you feel there is a, a distinction to be made or you they, that they sit very kind of comfortably together Joy as a word is very interesting. I, when you sent some of the stuff over before I, I came here, I was I was looking at it and I was thinking like, joy is so interesting because I was watching this, um, I was watching this TikTok the other day and it was talking about, um, you know, relationships and things like that. And, and it said, it was talking about how, what do you want from your partner? And a lot of people say, oh, I want my partner to make me happy. And it's like, well, happy is and we talk about it a lot happiness is not a destination however happy is kind of like an overarching experience mm, mm. um in order to be happy with a partner what you want is for your partner to consistently and periodically bring you joy mm. so joy is a a kind of like an episode of happiness mm. and um feeling feeling joy is as a queer person can be very few and far between um and i think the times that i feel most queer joy is at you know gigs mm. and it's not even in the performing it's like standing in a room with lots of queer other people and watching them be happy watching them have joy Joy, I think, is inherently a shared experience. Mm. That's how I feel. Um, and I think the reclamation of the word queer, because I still use queer at work because I self-identify as queer and mm. I see people flinch. Mm. I'm like, no, it's mm. ours now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's ours. Mm. And, um, and queer joy in itself is something that's so inherently like beautiful mm. because very much so in this community, queer joy, much like joy is an episode of happiness, mm. queer joy is a choice. Absolutely. You're choosing to, to inject episodes of happiness into your life because of who you are and embracing who you are. Mm. And that embodies everything from like being able to like go out in the clothes that you want to go out to, um, get, go out in, to like watching something like Eurovision mm -hmm. and being like, oh, that's queer culture and I am happy. Mm -hmm. This is queer joy. Mm -hmm. Like it can come from such innocuous places and it can come from such empowering places. Mm. But in, in itself, it's, it's a choice and it's something that you, I feel, you have to dive headfirst into. Um, I used to say this quote, which was, um, <clears throat> live happiness with conviction. Because I always used to find myself as an anxious kid. Whenever I was happy, I was waiting for it to end. Whenever I felt joy, I was waiting for it to be over. Mm. And that meant that while I was in the, that moment of joy, it became, it decreased the time that I was happy because I would experience that peak and then I'd be worried. And the time that I could have spent not worrying with like being happy or, or being joyful was overtaken by the worry of it ending. But the acceptance that all things are fleeting. So when you enjoy something, like enjoy happiness with conviction. 
like really dive headfirst into it. If you are having a good night, take stock of that moment and continue to have a good night because you will have a much better memory or a much better time from recognizing that you are in a moment of joy. Yeah, I think that's beautifully put. I think it, it really does speak to, I think it, the, the real difference seems to be between joy and happiness. Cause I think as, as you said, happiness is this like kind of like fleeting thing. It's not the kind of like, like destination. It's mm. almost kind of like the fuel that gets you there. Um, Whereas I think joy is kind of it's a kind of a, a, almost like a state that can be you know pretty pretty constant throughout your life, and you say is a, is a choice. Yeah. Um, I think certainly from a queer perspective, there is that which I'm I'm sort of really interested in exploring, considering that real kind of sort of double sided element to it in in the sense that you know you have joy as a queer person for kind of just accepting who you are. Mm-hmm. And from society's perspective, your joy is by definition radical and, yeah. and disruptive. Uh, queerness is defined in the uh, this book I've been reading, The Art of Drag by Jake Hall, as an umbrella term for the LGBTQIA plus community, but also a synonym for radical and disruptive. Mm-hmm. And I'm interested in what you kind of think, sort of how much those things are kind of, whether they're kind of, bound together and they can't be separated or there is a kind of you know difference you can in a separate way you know just be joyful as a queer person or whether it has to coexist with that sense of you know you know being radical in the sense that some people feel that their life is like a protest just by just by being i think i think you know unfortunately due to the society that we we are entrenched in um being a happy queer person is radical But when we think about being radical, we think that it takes work. But I mean, as I said earlier, as an as an artist who's queer, who started off not speaking about being queer, even just being queer and doing art was radical in itself. You know, we are lucky to see trans people over the age of 50. We are lucky to see, you know, as many of us turn up to prides and vigils as we do because it's a hard and dangerous world out there for us. And whether you come to those events or you sit at home and you drink tea and put your feet up, both of those things are an act of radicalism. Mm. And I think that that um I do think that they are bound mm. but not because being queer means you have to be radical, mm. but rather being queer in itself is radical because of um, other people's worldview. Mm. I think that over time we'll get to a place where it's not radical to be trans and write songs. Mm. I really think, and I hope that we'll get there. This is the interesting thing is like, yeah, we've built, we've built ourselves into this place of like, well, our thing is that we're trans, but we don't, it gets our foot into the door, but we're also in, in like, in my opinion, like, we write really good music mm. and it's like, yeah, we're trans, but we're also kick-ass musicians. Mm. And eventually, eventually we'll get to the place where the trans bit, it's not that it won't be important, but it won't be as radical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, I want to get there. Mm. I, even though it serves us right now, I want to get to a place where it's not radical mm. to be like a fat non-binary person singing and like throwing a guitar around the stage. And I just, 
I think that they are bound, but I think that the sense of responsibility people feel when they are labeled as radical is the problem mm. because um, just existing as a trans person is a form of resistance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not, it's not that you have to change, like your existence doesn't have to change. The acceptance of your existence has to change, if that makes sense. So the idea for this podcast mm-hmm. um, series came from, I suppose, I was interested to, to, to delve into the subject of joy and then also kind of what it means from a queer perspective, a queer joy. Yeah. And kind of pointing folks in the direction of queer writers and artists in their local area, in the southwest area, that they m- might not have heard of, which kind of hence the pst of the title acronym. And that acronym stands for Poetry, Songwriting, Storytelling and Theatre. So you are the first S in our series. Congratulations. Whee! In the spirit of In the spirit of overturning queer stones and finding interesting things underneath, what are some things that folks might not know about you as a, as a queer writer and performer? Gosh. Um, <laughs> this doesn't have to be a, you know, like a serious, earnest, I am, <laughs> I am a writer answer. Um, well, I am a writer. Like I write all kinds of things. Um, I wrote the script for the videos. I've written plays, um, abandoned books that I've been writing. It's the ADHD. Um, I I trained in theatre, so I've I've done some like um, really cool stuff through youth theatre groups. Like I've performed at uh, Her Majesty's Theatre, mm. um, and then also I've like been part of community choirs for a lot of my life. So I've like performed at Carnegie Hall in New York. Um, wow. through that so that was really cool so like I've, I've had so many incredible opportunities just by kind of being involved in like community performing arts um, uh, in my spare time I like to produce I'm trying to um, like get a clientele while I'm where I'm working with uh, like trans artists in Southampton to like produce EPs with them or singles or whatever um, just because I want to, I want to like get to the place myself where like I'm way more knowledgeable about the tools that I'm using and how that can inform my writing as well. Um, I like video games. <laughs> I'm very into video games. I wanted for a, a while there, and still do. I wanted to be a sound designer mm. for video games. So like, not you know, obviously I know that I could do the music, but I'd love to do the sound effects and like learning that's been really interesting. So I'm basically kind of just trying in all fields i think as much millennial and gen z as are is like anything we're interested in we're trying to make it a career so that mm. we don't have to suffer like a boring day job mm. um but yeah i'm i'm like a nerd that's kind of <laughs> it really i love cats <laughs> wonderful wonderful thank you for that insight into uh what lies underneath your queer stone i love it um so you describe your music as genre queer, which I mm. love. And the LGBTQIA plus experience is all about inventing new words yeah. and that sense of self-authorship, which uh, Alok Menon talks about. Um, you know, when did you when did you come out to the world as gen- genre queer? So this was, I mean, we, gender and genre is over in a way, right? It's like the barriers, like we spoke earlier, the barriers of like... Um, self-identifying as a label where it's empowering and then not identifying as just as empowering. Um, we were kind of really, it's really hard when you as a creative have to do the bio 
you get asked like if you're in a band like what do you sound like and it's like well if this band had a baby with this band you know but then but then how do you because it's still going to be authentic and original how do you actually quantify or define that to someone mm. and um i think it was our friend sorrel um that I think it was either on purpose or accidentally misspelt genderqueer into genre queer or something like that. Devin mm. could probably tell you the story much better. But I remember him coming to me and being like, oh, Sorrel's just said genre queer. And I was like, <laughs> that's so perfect. That's so perfect because it's, it's like, it's queer politically in that sense of like, there is no one way to do it. Mm. Like mm. we have songs that are like very pop punk that end in like ska punk and then we have theatrical rock songs and then we have good old fashioned kind of very like four on the floor uh, situations. So it's like, um, I, th I can't remember, I think it was like right before we came out with the album, we were looking at like rewriting our bios and everything like that and because we started off in this place of our original descriptor was um, synth, uh, gar garage rock synth pop. And um, and like that was, that was cool. That was like a weird mishmash. But like what's a quicker way of saying that? Mm. Because we could say, oh, we have a bit of metal. We have a bit of dance. We have a bit of punk. Mm -hmm. We have ska. Like we could say that or we could just use an umbrella term mm. and that makes so much mm. more sense. Mm. So it kind of came about, I think, either accidentally or just in casual conversation um, from someone outside of the band that was like, oh, this. We were like, hell yeah. Mm. Perfect. I love that. And I love that the origin story of that is that it came from a mistake as well. Yeah. As so many I think that's what happened. Do. But yeah, like it, like a, like a, just a kind of a flub of language. A flub. Yeah. Wonderful. Another new word for you there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Humans are the original autocorrect. We do autocorrect ourselves before technology took over from us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I think well, this was the thing. I think the accident was not human. It was machine. It oh, right. I it, see. Because yeah. I think that they were trying to say gender queer, but it changed it to genre. I see. Right, right. So mm. we are named by way of machine mishap which is a great band name if anyone wants that machine mishap i love that i love that and um yeah i mean there are so many so many people that um, your music makes me think of your writing makes me think of whether it's from yeah a green day my chemical romance to even a sort of think the scope of what you did on um anybody else kind of reminds me of like a, a night at the opera by queen you know? oh thank you so much <laughs> <laughs> that's such a compliment that's such a compliment. Thank you. And um, you, you spoke when we were kind of talking, preparing for this podcast, um, you shared some of your influences. And one I was particularly interested to bring up was was Kay Tempest, because mm. I think they are someone I feel in the queer community writing right now is just one doing amazing things. Um, they sort of feel the closest we have like to a Homeric poet. I can yeah. use that phrase because when you see them, have you have you seen them before? I haven't myself. So when we were talking about these influences, obviously we were talking about having Devin involved, and and Kay is definitely like one of Devin's like biggest influences, um, topically, politically, and like by proxy, I've like listened to some of Kay's stuff. Like I haven't spent a lot of time with their stuff, um, but everything that I've heard, like I think you're right. I think that 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 um, the poeticism. And the 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 fact that like something I really like about them is like the fact that 
it's music, but it's not singing, mm. but it's also not mm. quite rap. Mm. It is exactly what it needs to be for that person to get their message out. And mm. it just works so well. Absolutely. And like, I think, you know, everything that I've heard has just really like mind melded me. I think one of the reasons that I haven't spent as much time as, as Devin with the, with like case material is just that I know that in order to really engage with that, I'm going to have to sit down and properly spend time with it. And like, I'm just always so busy, but I think, yeah, like I can see in the way that the things that Devin wants to talk about in the band and the, and the way that he, so he wrote all of the lyrics for the dance or rather he came to me, um, with a a free form poem that he'd written about an experience he'd had and he said can we turn this into a song and I like helped shape the the sort of like into a a a song structure which is still a really weird structure Mm -hmm. um but in that I could see like that that influence of of spoken word poetry because it originated as Poet poetry, yeah. And wait, what song did that become? So people the dance. Can check it out. The dance. So that's um that's on the album, and it's uh, the one that's like bass led and sounds very operatic. Love it, love it. Um, yeah, I think, I think combining poetry and music is 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 so it's so much more common these days, which I think is is wonderful because it's kind of, um, I think I don't I think music and poetry are just as valid in terms of their storytelling and writing quality, but obviously they yeah. they hit in a different way. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's a there's a line I want to uh, a series of lines I want to share from one of um, uh, Kay's uh, songs from their most recent album, "The Line Is a Curve," um, which I feel speaks so beautifully and sort of caringly but powerfully to like the I think particularly the trans experience, which mm-hmm. is from the song "Grace," and they write, "I just want to dig a ditch in the soil of my breath and bury my brain there," but love said. If you bring forth what is within you, what you bring forth will save you. But if you do not bring forth what is within you, what you do not bring forth will destroy you. Yeah. I, I, that is one I have heard. Mm, mm. <laughs> I think it's it's it kind of speaks to what we were talking about earlier with growth. Mm. Those things that you try to hide will mm. eat you up from the inside. Mm. And that that's both mistakes you've made in the past and also dreams that you have for the future for yourself Mm. i think that i think that if you have an ideal version of yourself there's this this thing of like waiting for the right time to start embodying that or waiting waiting for the right circumstances Mm. but i think in what they're saying there it's like the longer you wait or try to hide or are embarrassed or feel shame because of those things that you want the longer and and kind of like more more negative that will feel. Mm. There was something I had a conversation with somebody recently um, who was like sort of in the process of coming out to themselves and being like, well, I know I'm not cis, um, but I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm X. Mm. And I was like, well, here's the interesting thing about that. I spent a really long time thinking... I'm not trans. I'm not trans because subliminally or subconsciously when you admit to being trans, Mm. you are not only kind of like having that joyful experience of realizing who you truly are. It's so tinged by the fact that you have to accept that there are things about you that aren't there yet. 
It's like, so say if we take like a binary trans man, for example, they've lived their life socialized female. When they admit that they are not a woman, when they admit that they are a man and being a man to them means having a flat chest or, you know, having a beard. In that moment that they admit that they are a man, they embody that and they realize and they have that joyful realization. It's scary because they have to also accept in themselves that they don't have everything they want yet. And so people will people will often steer away from living their truth because they realize that their truth comes with absence. Like, wow, yeah. and I think that that fear of wanting something and not having it yet mm. or wanting something and having to work for it or wanting something and having to accept that maybe you'll never have that one part of it is a big blocker for people accepting it. Mm. Um, so this is why it's like when we look at like gender in itself, it's really interesting because it's like you can be born and socialized female and then you can change absolutely nothing about yourself, mm. not your expression, your clothes, whether you wear makeup, your hair, uh, surgeries, anything. You can change absolutely nothing about yourself and then you can still in one day to the next change your pronouns don't even have to change your pronouns you can tell people that you're a man mm. and you are mm. because you are your idea of a man mm -hmm. or you mm. are your idea of a woman or you're your idea of like a, a person mm. and i think that once we start moving away from we start asking that question like what does being a woman mean to you what does being a man mean to you because if it's tied up in a certain kind of expression or bio like biology, then that is, that is going to be harmful in the acceptance of yourself. Mm. So I think when Kay is talking about that thing, like eating up, it's true because the longer you deny yourself truth, the longer that you live a lie, the less you are living. And I just, it's such a, an interesting experience that, we ourselves get to get to go through as trans people because I'm not quite sure in any other identity because there are physical things in other identities that mean that it is just already, you know, mm. you know, if you're disabled, you know, if you're black, mm. but when you're queer or you're trans, you don't necessarily know. And finding out that you are and then finding out what that means, like, is incredibly difficult. Mm. Um, not just because, not just because it's hard to do that in this society, but also it's just really hard to work out yeah. where you stand mm. in terms of gender, in terms of sexuality. Um, I wish that we had a society that was way more open to questioning these kinds of things. Because I think then we would feel less inclined to hide our true desires, mm. feel less shame. Absolutely. I think that's beautifully put. But I think where, where it connects is I think you were speaking about sadness, pain, which we all go through from, like, dare I say, like a joyful, optimistic, optimistic perspective. And I'm so excited to hear 
this song you come up with um, with the help of the young people you've been working with, yeah. the young people at Breakout, because I love that they said to you, no, we, we don't we don't want a song that kind of just that just glosses over all the difficulties and is just all positive and yes, you know, like we can do this. It's one that, that embraces all of that at the same time and kind of turns it into this angry but also joyful kind of declaration of everything you know like it might be messy and complicated but this is this is what life is and I think that is actually more joyful to me than pretending everything is fine you know yeah. I think this is misunderstanding I think around the subject of joy it's like I don't think it's it's saying that you live in a musical you know yeah it's, no. it's saying it's saying that in times of suffering particularly it's what keeps you going you know? Yeah, even if you don't, that's the thing, isn't it? That's the perfect perseverance because it's like when you are so down, betrodden, you are so sad, you're in physical pain, mental pain. It's not even joy that keeps you going. It's the prospect of joy. Mm. It's the mm. possibility. They say that thing, don't they, about people who, um, content warning, people who, who, um, who are like suicidal there's that thing of like, if you take yourself out of the world, it can't get better. It can't get better for you, mm. but it could if you stay. Mm. I have feelings around it. I think that people have autonomy in that. When people decide to take their life, like I trust them with that decision. I don't, I'm not, I'm never angry. I never feel betrayed. Mm. Like that's their choice and they have the right to do that. And it's up to them. It's their perspective on life. It's the hand that they've been dealt. But I think for me, the thing that kept me going was like, if I did take myself out of the world when I wanted to, then it would have been a very sad end. Mm. And all of the potential and prospect for joy in my life would have just vanished. I think about that now in the relationship that I'm in, in the band that I'm in, in the job that I'm in. And I, I'm like, I could so easily have not had that. But it was the prospect of that and the belief that I could that kept me going. Mm. And it was, it was such a... When I think about it now, like, I still... Uh, I still understand that person that I was that that wanted to leave. Mm -hmm. And I understand why, but I'm really glad that I didn't. Mm -hmm. And I think that if if a song or a piece of writing or a piece of media or a piece of clothing can make someone feel joy enough to just keep going, then that's valid mm -hmm. in itself. That's valid resistance and you know that's that's valid uh, joy. Mm. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. And we're so happy you're still here and that you're creating all this wonderful work. And I, I, I love with this um, this project that you've got involved with, um, I mean, I know the work of Breakout, they're fantastic, mm. a charity uh, doing fantastic work across Hampshire. Been going for 30 years and for you guys to come in and you're a band that is so much about your community. Um, I think you're obviously, you, you're, you're there to entertain people and give people a good, a good time. 
but you know your I get the sense from the way you approach your your music and getting it out there you're so much thinking about how do we support and uplift and empower our community yeah. so it feels like the perfect project for, for you you all to be involved in absolutely and tell me about the process how it's been working with those young people and kind of how you feel it's influenced and inspired your the sort of your writing really I mean I mean, basically what, what we did is we asked all these questions and then um, we, well, I say we, but our sort of rep who's been a friend of mine for a very long time, um, they collated all of the answers into separate sort of documents. And it kind of just, it it took me and Jack, uh, who's the vocalist of One Dead Thief, we sat down, we poured over all of these answers and we are like, right, well what's the vibe so we listened to the songs that like we like the um they'd made this playlist of like all of these songs that the the kids had like referenced we were listening to it and we were like okay this is the vibe we started sort of messing around on guitar and then like jack and i write very similarly mm-hmm. in that it's a very uh isolated process mm. So when Hunting Hearts are writing, and this is something that we're learning to do differently, um, what historically has been the case is that we'll jam something in a practice or one of us will have an idea and it'll kind of filter to me. And then I, as a person with unmedicated ADHD, will go, ha ha. And then five to 15 minutes later, there'll be a full song. And then Mm. I will like record all the parts and be like, Mm. here is my idea of how it could sound. You guys go away and like tell me what you think should change and like rewrite your parts or whatever. So like that's kind of like how the the album was written. And also um, another way we do it is that Lucy or Devin historically have come to me with like lyrics and a couple of melody ideas or um, very like MP3 or MIDI demos mm. and been like, mm. what what do you think? And I'm like, would you let me play with it? And then I have like. Mm-hmm. sort of flipped it on its head and then it's like been, oh cool that's like such a different perspective so and I think it kind of works very similarly <clears throat> with Jack and and how he writes so sitting down together was such an interesting and informative process of like oh we do the same thing we just aren't used to doing that together right right but in the end like we, we I think it took about like three hours and we knocked out um uh, intro uh verse pre-chorus and we were kind of like about to go into a chorus and we were like "Mm, I think we're going to struggle to get there Mm. so let's let's like call it a day while it's good Mm -hmm. and -hmm. then the next thing that happened was they all went into a rehearsal room I wasn't available for it but it was um Devin and Lucy were there and the rest of One Dead Thief were there and uh, Devin had had this idea for a chorus and he started throwing that out and it sounded really good and they basically wrote the rest of the structure of the song Mm. um and then <clears throat> and then it was kind of like down to me to like finish the lyrics. And I basically sat the other day and I looked at all of these um, documents that had all of these kids' responses on. Mm. And I was like just picking up bits, you know, putting them in, trying to like never misrepresent what they were saying. But also you have to be careful. You, ha- you can't say like the exact sort of thing in case it uh, not incriminates, but like in case it makes somebody feel like, oh, I feel like I'm worried that because I said that, maybe that'll be traced back to me or, you know, yeah, that kind exactly, of thing. So exactly. the safeguarding of it has been mm, mm. Um, obviously like paramount. Mm. Um, but yeah, so like I knocked together a demo, I sent that and um, 
and that's kind of where we are in the process. So the, the structure's written, the lyrics are written, they're being checked by the breakout people to make sure that everything's all good. Because I think when you think of charity singles, you think of like Westlife or the NHS choir or, you know, Bridge Over Troubled Water, things like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas very much from the start, it was like, you guys do realize that you are employing like two alternative punk driven rock bands to do this like we know we can't swear but we're not mm-hmm. going to be we're not going to be like because we have obviously our song don't let a good thing go is like acoustic guitar and it's like hey everything's going to be fine i know it really hurts but like mm. you know we still have music like you know it's that it's that kind of vibe and i think that then maybe they were expecting something like that but we really have like come in with something that is because this is what was evidenced in the responses to this this kind of like survey or questionnaire or, or um, discovery process that we went through mm-hmm. is that they want the kids want something upbeat they want mm. something angry mm-hmm. they want something that's honest they mm. want something that really reflects their their like <clears throat> not only their experience which obviously even though there's so much more awareness now with awareness comes danger and pain and like they want something that really reflects that um but the big vibe was that they want something that they can shout and scream to and feel empowered by mm. so that's not necessarily like for for a bunch of like uh, you know people who are battling the system every single day who are going to high school every day oh my mm-hmm. god mm-hmm. no one wants to be like with an acoustic guitar like oh i'm so sad but at least i'm gonna be better soon <laughs> they want some like hey screw you man like i'm exactly how i'm supposed to be and mind your own business and like i'm a, a flipping queen like you know yeah. that's what they want and exactly. it was exactly i'm really hoping because they've not heard it yet i'm really hoping that it connects with them you know and um, that's the most important thing for me is that they feel they feel like they've been done right and they feel like they have that song that they can sing mm. um, that's really connected to them. Yeah, and what a gift to give to, like, kind of your community. <clears throat> and I think so much of the work that is important to do as, as, as any, any writer and creative, but certainly as a, as a queer writer and creative, is to think, what would I have liked when I was, yeah. when I was a teenager... Because certainly that informs my work so much at the moment. It's like I didn't have access to such wonderful charities. I didn't know they existed. I didn't know all the words that I use on a daily basis now and kind of right, and yeah. give, give me a lot of uh, comfort. And I didn't know all the people I do. So I feel really sort of not really duty bound feels a bit kind of formal, but I feel really compelled and passionate about mm. what can I do to support people my age, which will kind of in a one way kind of heal my relationship with my younger self, but also just be helping people that kind of need inspiration and support and that's sounds like kind of where you're coming from with this project yeah i mean well just in general with the band like there have been times like i've gone through um i've gone through like an an illness i'm still going through it like i'm going through an illness that is um is like I'll be candid about it. Like it's, it's to do with like, um, reproductive situation. Mm -hmm. And like, as a, as an AFAB trans person navigating that, Mm -hmm. you know, like I'm going through this thing that's very heavy on top of it. There's like misgendering and things like that. Mm -hmm. And all through this time I was like, cause I had surgery two weeks before we dropped the album and a month before we went on tour. 
Um, wow, that's, and it that's, was, that's a lot at one time. It was, the surgery was uh, difficult. I won't talk too much about it, but it was one that they said, oh, we'll anesthetize you for it. We'll put you under general. And then when I got there, um, the anesthetist wasn't happy. So they were like, we're going to go in and then we're just going to do it with a local anesthetic. And then you can tell us if you feel too much pain. But I'm a chronic people pleaser and I completely dissociated. So I, I, I like walked out after the surgery and I was like, maybe those things shouldn't have happened to me. Mm. So that's a week before the album drops. Mm. So there have been times across, especially like we've been a band, August, September time, we've been a band for five years, Mm. you know, and and we've had like members come and go. um, And we've been through a lot of like crap Mm. um, personally as well, not to mention an entire shared trauma of a global pandemic. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. there have been times across our five years of like, oh, I know what we do is important, but like, do I have the spoons to keep going? You know, what do I, what do I feel I owe? What do we owe to each other? And then it, it came down to this thing of like, it's never for me about what I owe other people. It's about what I owe myself. What do I care about? I care about queer youth. I care about who I was when I was 13, Mm. when I didn't know I was trans and I was being bullied for being a lesbian. Mm. I care about that kid. I care about that kid so much. Mm. I have learned in the last year how much trauma I have Mm -hmm. and realizing like, I'm tired. Of course I'm tired. I'm sick. I'm sad. I've, I've got so much going on. But at the end of the day, if I don't do it, it's not guaranteed that someone else is going to. And I owe it to myself, who I was and who I want to be, mm. to keep doing this, this thing, you know, keep going and playing shows. And every single show, one more person is like, oh, I feel so much better. I had such a good time. The other thing that happens is we'll play a show and then another person will come out. <laughs> It'll be mm. like, oh, I like went to your show and then I listened to your music for about a week and now I've realized, <clears throat> yeah, I'm not cis. And like, that's great. Like, mm-hmm. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. never expected, but it's mm. like, oh, cool. It's not a condition upon entry. Yeah. No. What is it that you're excited about that you're writing now? And um, obviously we've spoken about a couple of your upcoming projects, but like, you know, what do you feel is it keeps you wanting to... to put pen to paper and pick up your guitar and write songs it's not it's not a choice i think that's the thing it's like i'll just have an idea and they'll be like right well i have to i know that the next three hours now is going to be finishing this um i've written a song recently because i we get very political a lot but i also want to give people the chance to just let go and dance and rid themselves of anxiety for three minutes um So I've written this song called Momentum, which is based on stoic practices Mm -hmm. of like, you're only here in this moment. The only thing you can affect is right now. Um, So it was just this moment of like, I wanted to write a song that in this song, it says, stays like, stand still with me for just one breath. Focus on all that you have left right now is all that we can affect. Uh, Surrender to the present. And like just living in that one moment of absolute queer joy at a queer gig and you can throw your hands around, you can scream, like just live in this one moment and that can carry you for maybe days, weeks on end after this. Mm. And in this moment, you are just perspectively a moat of dust in like an entire galaxy of massively 
consequential and inconsequential things. And all that you owe in that moment to yourself is to be true and joyful. So like that's what I'm trying to like encapsulate in that song. And that's one of the ones that I'm like most excited about going forward. But I'm very excited about the single that we'll be bringing out this year. And I'm like super jazzed about everything that's going to go on with it. Psst! It's a joint production by Reba Rush and Artful Scribe. To find out about and get involved in the fantastic work that Artful Scribe do, please go to artfulscribe.co.uk. You can follow them on the socials at Artful Scribe. Follow Re at Reba Roche to find out what they're up to.